I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddy, and we're here for yet another episode of the Illustrious Innkeeper's Guestbook Podcast. And today is an extremely special podcast because I got one of my very, very, very good friends and another one of my very, very, very good friends, both here in the building, coming on. Because he said, Fred, you're doing a podcast? You know, we got to get on. I said, of course. And so here we are. Alex, how you doing? Good, but Allison, how you doing? Fantastic. You want to tell the viewers at home who you are? Give me, give me, give me a, um, a haiku spiel on who you are, what you want them to know. Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Well, I am... I guess an ex-New Yorker at this point. I've been in Washington for 14 years, and I am in the wine trade. All right. I have been sort of uh, in and out of it, but I am firmly within the wine trade at this point. You're, you're, you're knee-deep in it, yes. in the grapes? Yes. You got, you got, you got grapes stained on the soles? <laughs> Both. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's when, when, you're, when you're in it, that's when you know it's good because you're there because you want to be there. Yes. How about you, Allison? Um, I'm Allison. I'm from the D.C. area. I grew up in Northern Virginia. Mm -hmm. Lived in this area pretty much my whole life. Um, I've, I'm an entrepreneur. I've spanned different industries from fashion to real estate to design. Mm -hmm. um, I love all things design. And aesthetics are important to me. That's good. So what's the most important thing in design that you need? And I'm saying that design is in general, as it concerns fashion, as it concerns spatially in real estate, as it concerns life. Is there one underlying theme that you think connects all of them? I'd say function. Yes. I think design is frivolous, really, without function, because, you know, that's the root of design is to make things that we can use, whether that's to wear or eat out of or live inside of. Function inspires design and design inspires function. So when someone makes some sneakers with Pegasus wings on them that sell for $500,000 on eBay, is there function for that? That is the function of supply and demand. <laughs> ah, touche. I that's, like that. That's all I can say about that. I like that. So, Alex, Sova Tuesdays. Sova Tuesdays. Can you please, please tell the viewers at home the importance of this once regal, majestic, soul-touching, soul-elevating institution that was in D.C. Yes. Well, let's see. Was that about, I guess it was about eight. Yeah. Eight the or early tens. Ago. Yeah, the early tens. Um, I was a bartender at this pretty fantastic, very courageous bar on 8th Street before things Street. changed. 8th <laughs> Street Northeast. As we know it now. Yeah, yeah. Before yes. 8th Street, as you know it now. You know, uh, there was, there was... The street was still still terrible. There was no streetcar. Yes. Um, and there was a pretty great collective of business owners just trying to do pretty 
badass things on that side of town and and um even before the great street streets program really took off um there were jersey barricades yes there were lots of jersey um, barricades. Lots, lots and um you know i ended up working very much by accident at this bar on 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 a street called sova which was run by frank hankins um and we just had some, well, at that point in time, we also had, I think, one of the best bar programs in the city, um, easily, as far as classic cocktails and, you know, really craft spirits and a dedication to to the craft of being a bartender. A and Noah's of, Mill. Yes, and a lot of really great spirits and a lot of really super talented folks came through um, that bar. Um, and... Um, I ended up working with, with one of my best friends in the entire world, uh, Stephen Oshana. Shout to Steve. And, um, shout to Steve. <laughs> yes. We got to get you on the pod, man. Yes. And, um, we just had a pretty fantastic crew of folks come through on Tuesdays. It was, it was pretty amazing. Eric McKinley King. Mm-hmm. We had Fred here. Yes, indeed. Um, oh man. London. Come London. Through. Um, just really, really great dudes. And it was a Tuesday. It was a very easy night in that everyone would just come and hang out. We'd have very like, sort of like deep and, 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 and meaningful conversations over some just great cocktails and spirits. And, um, and that went on for months. Yeah. Months. Yeah. It was practically a year and change. Yeah. This is back when I um, used to get the wall street journal every day delivered yes. to the house. Um, and I would read on the Metro down, and then Tuesdays, I would come back home. Oh, so I work late, and sometimes I wouldn't take the Metro home. I'd just take the X2 from uh, Lafayette Square mm-hmm. and just take it straight over. Um, and I think there was one night that either I fell asleep or I drank too much <laughs> and didn't get off on the 3rd Street stop. And when I looked up, it was 13th Street. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got to say, okay, fine, I'm going to do this. I said, you know what? I'm getting a drink. And I just walked in this one day and walked up those stairs, and my life changed forever. Yep. It was amazing. Learned a lot of stuff. Did you know that um, people that are deaf still go out to nightclubs to listen to music, but more so for the reverberations of the bass? It's very... 808 heavy bass music and there were some Tuesdays Mm -hmm. that a DJ would come and there would be students from Gallaudet that would be there and it was amazing yes absolutely amazing but I digress what were some wait no I don't want to digress here (laughs) what were some of the original OG restaurants okay so I was really thinking about this the Red and the Black Red and the Black Palace of Wonders Palace of Wonders Um, Granville Moore's Granny's is still there yes okay um, Pug, of course. A pug. Um, That's where Eric Bruno Yang started, right? Yep. While he was working on Toki, work, mm-hmm. working on renovating Toki upstairs. Yep. Okay. Um, where there was, what was before? Liberty Tree? Yes, Liberty. Recently closed. Which recently closed. Oh, wow. They, they, they survived a long time. They but, did. But they were, they were, you know, well after even Beer Garden and H Street Country Club did Liberty Tree open. Yeah, that was the second wave. Yes, that was the second wave. And Sticky. 
Sticky. Yeah, Sticky, Sticky, Sticky was, was yes. one of the originators. Yes, Sticky was one of the originators. Yeah. But that was their second location because their first one was Richmond, in Richmond, right? Richmond. Um, and then there was one across the street from Liberty Tree, like Atlas something. It was Atlas Room. It was something like that. If I'm not mistaken. Because they were trying to be they were trying to be a white the white tablecloth restaurant of, yeah. of the group. Yeah. Um, they also had a very good cocktail program for a while, but I don't think I don't think they survived. No, no. I don't think so. And of course, the super, super, super OG of all of them, Popeyes. Yes, <laughs> which is eternal. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Crowns. Crowns was an OG. Crowns fried chicken. chicken. Yeah, but I'm thinking more so between yeah, like between eleventh and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That whole I guess that mark from eighth to about fourteenth. That was kind of where a lot of changes happened because yeah, I think. Because you know, that was when the connection was yes, still there. Pretty much from 8th to North Capitol, there wasn't very much of anything. No. Until that horrible New Orleans thing opened and then closed. <laughs> True Orleans. True Orleans. Hey, but hey, that, that they haven't torn down that design. They have that, that iron, um, uh, what do you call it, railing, gate, or uh, fence that's at the top that's real decorative, it's yeah. very nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. Uh, Sadamo. Yes. Oh yeah. Sadamo. Sadamo was an OG. Yes. Um, Big Board was the second wave, wasn't? Weren't Big they? Board was the second wave, but remember, it was um, what was it previously, before Big Board? Oh it no! Was, um, yes, it, it was, was called um, 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 Beans with a P. Yes. Uh, Pat and Petey's. Yes, and then Pat after and Petey's, after, after Pat and Petey's, it became it became something else, something else, and then it was Big Board, and then it was Big Board. Yeah, I remember Pat and Petey's, man. Yes. They were cool, but it always smelled like you were inside of the fryer yes yes no no offense no offense man the food was good and it was good people yeah but the venting was 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 lacking limited if at all it was yes but yeah the second wave was like queen vic smith commons queen vic yes smith commons and and a few other country club no smith commons was like third or fourth wave oh yeah i think probably third because it was it was A Street Country Club because I remember it was a nine hole golf course where mm-hmm. you either got a hole in one or a hole in twenty. There was yes. no <laughs> dangerously between. delicious pies, dangerously delicious uh, beer garden, beer garden, and, and then um, rock and roll, star rock, rock, rock and roll. No, was, rock and roll is the OG. Yeah, that replaces. That yeah, was there before just about everything. And uh, star and the shamrock, star and shamrock, um, Argonaut, Argo. Have they? They're still there. Argo is. Also, so still there. Remember that I, was like the bastion. It's like you, you passed Sova. Yeah. Then you hit the barbershop. And then it was and then yeah. it was Argonaut. Yeah. And that was it. So okay, and I mean this with all due respect. How many times has it caught fire? Argonaut. Yes. At least Is it more than once? At least two. Okay. I think two in my memory. Okay. While I was on and around. Okay. Eighth Street. I've gone there for brunch. Yeah, their brunches are famous. Yeah, and they had the um, uh, 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 make your own Bloody Marys. Yes, I like that. The Bloody Mary bar, preceding everybody else's craze of Bloody Marys. They did a good job. They did. Yeah. For those outside of DC, we're <laughs> sorry that we had to take this detour, but it yes. had to be done because what we're doing is we're running through the history of the esteemed A Street corridor. Um. So, back in the '60s and '50s, or prior to Martin Luther King's assassination. Um, the A Street Corridor was the second busiest retail strip in Washington, D.C. And then 
unfortunately, the tragedy happened of uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King, and there were riots. It took all over the city, and one of the casualties was the H Street Corridor. And thereafter, it stood as it was <laughs> post-riots and fires for a good score, as they used to say, which is a generation, 20, 25 years. Yeah, I mean, I'd say... Say longer. Longer, yeah. It's about 40, probably 40 years. 40, yeah, because we're Um, saying mid-2000s is when the first new stuff started coming in. Yeah, I mean, there was, um, there were some businesses through the 90s and early 2000s, but it really didn't take off until, until the, just about 2007, 2008, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that the whole strip was in disrepair this entire time. There were still there were some great institutions that were there, like stands, yes, um, and uh, 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 Horse and Dickies, yes, absolutely. which is super super OG. Mm-hmm. Like you 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 check in at Horse and Dickies, Dickies. <laughs> before <laughs> before you set up shop yes. on A Street. Um, um, but in the grand scheme of total retail commercial activity along the strip. Um, it definitely was not what it was uh, prior to the 60s. Um, so, yeah, we were just talking about some of the institutions that came in and how Alex and I uh, came to know one another. Uh, and that was at a place, lovely place called Sova. So now we're about to fast forward to what, maybe, what, 10 years now? To just about. Around this time. Uh, Allison. Yes. How'd you meet Alex? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we're about to get it. We're, we're, about to, we're about to get a somebody's about to blush i love this story i think alex hates the story i'm not sure uh alex and i met at cotton and reed ah shout out to jordan and reed yes and shout out to the noma neighborhood shout out to union inn where this is being recorded right now exactly it's keeping it in the in the in the family and the family in the it's codes. it's in the union market district which is just northeast of us yes uh in the northeast quadrant of washington dc they are a rum distillery yes they are uh it was valentine's day Ooh. okay <laughs> And I was with my close friend, Farah. Shout out to Farah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spotted Alex behind us at some point, And I was like, who's that? And she's like, I don't know. You should go talk to him. And I was like, maybe. And uh, <laughs> uh, for the viewers uh, or for the listeners out there, Alex is blushing and crying. Um, <laughs> uh, so I... I checked in on him a couple of times and he was at the bar and I was like, okay, I'm not going to bother him. I was at the bar. And then after that, the next time I saw him, he had three drinks in his hand. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, it's Valentine's Day. Like maybe he's waiting for his girlfriend or something. Like I maybe I shouldn't go talk to him. Like he's obviously like waiting for someone. And then some time went by and like no one went up and I was like, all right. So I kind of moseyed on over to him and my very successful pickup line was, that's a lot of drinks for one person. And he's he, like, watch this. <laughs> well, I figured I would immediately figure out what was going on. Like, he's going to tell me like that he's waiting for his girlfriend or whatever. I was going to get an answer about what was happening pretty quickly. And he just told me, you know, my friend works here. And I asked him what I should order. And he's made me all these drinks. And so then we were chatting and exchanged numbers. And the rest is history. This is history. That's beautiful. On Valentine's Day, too. On Valentine's Day, as corny as that sounds. Have you done a tour at uh, Cotton Reed? 
Uh, not an official one, actually. I've been there so many times, but I've never done, like, the official tour. And I haven't done it either. And I, every time I go, I see some people go in the back to do the tour. And I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need to do that. Yeah. But my bar, my bar card is fully stocked with three different types of rum that they, they carry. So awesome. I'm representing at home. There you go. Um, which one did you like the most of the three drinks that he had? <laughs> I actually don't know which drinks you had. But my favorite drink at Cotton and Reed is the, is the Red Beard. Uh, the which beard. is a uh, salute to Lucas, who is their yes. amazing what cocktail director or beverage director? I think he's the beverage director. Yeah, he's fantastic. Is and that... he has a very large red beard, so it's like, this is, well, this is Lucas in a, jar, in a can. In is a... it um the spice rum? The red beard is not. I believe it's the white rum, and I can't remember what the mixers are. Um, but the I like the spice rum, and then the all-spice dram is really good for mixing with cocktails as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Also have that on my bar cart. They finished one in in Calvados cask, in apple brandy cask, um, and oh yeah, uh, I have a couple of their like limited edition ones too. They have a a cider barrel, yeah, the cider barrel rum, me, and the coffee, the um, Despacino mm-hmm. limited edition. I have both of those. Yeah. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a link to Cotton and Reed on yes. the notes. So if you're interested in this uh, distillery, which is amazing, uh, go check it out in the notes and. Uh, Give them a shout and tell them that we sent you there. Um, Joseph A. Magnus, have you been there? I haven't, no. Okay, Joseph A. Magnus. I drive past it all the time. Yeah, over in West Virginia above mm-hmm. uh, Atlas. Um, their main bourbon, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's Fantastic. good. A lot. It's good. Back when I was drinking, yeah, I stopped drinking at the beginning of this year. So at some point, I'll probably... Next year. Yeah, next year. Or, you know... Uh, Friend of the pod, Kyle, he's uh, getting married on uh, uh, September. So the bachelor party is in July, I want to say. New Orleans. So are you going to like prepare before? <sighs> yeah, I got I to do yeah. some calisthenics, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> maybe maybe like a beer a day until you get there oh, for wow. like... For like five days, you don't just walk into a... You're better than me. I was going to say a shot, but... <laughs> you know, like... Man, you guys are scaring me now. No, I'm just saying, like, go if you go to New Orleans and people start handing you alcohol and you haven't drank in six months... They're going to be like, when in Rome? It's going to be a yeah, short yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we're thinking about doing, sidebar, getting a second line. Mm-hmm. So I was watching Hannibal Burris. Yep. He has a, a skit where he talks about his friend was having a bachelor party down there. He's like, man, we should get a second line. And there's like a process. You can go to a police station and get a permit for a second line. And it's not that expensive from what I've heard. And you're just walking around. So second line is where, my apologies for those who don't know, um, you ever see the people walking down the street and there's, you know, the trombone guy, the the saxophonist, oh, the geez. trumpeter, and, you know, somebody carrying whatever behind it. And it's like, dun, 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 You could just uh, bring Curry Hackett and friends with you. Yeah, that too. Shout out to Curry. Um, but yeah, so those, they, you can hire those and then they'll like follow you around and be your second line behind you to amp your presence. Throughout Everyone the needs one of those. Everyone needs one of those. So we're thinking about doing that, but we'll see. Um, so yeah. Yes, we were talking earlier about um, the Duchess of Sussex, <laughs> the newly crowned Duchess of Sussex. And so I had mentioned that I come across an article that was, you know, one of those 
times listicles like you know when you first go on google if you don't have your your uh, bookmark place page set it'll recommend three articles for you yes. and it's all just designed to have you click and it was like this is how the princess's life is going to change i was like no it's not it's going to be better gotta click it so i clicked it and one of the things it said was that she her bedtime is going to change because she can't go to bed before the queen to which Allison responded, oh, that's a deal killer. I'm done. Yes, I did say that. Yeah, so. Sleep is my favorite hobby and most treasured thing. So you'll be damned no. if the queen. No, be poor and well rested. <laughs> Single and asleep. I can keep going. So, you know, another thing also is that she can't show bare legs. She always has to wear, in public, has to wear stockings. Right. Because the proper thing to do. Can she only like Summertime. cross her ankles? I think I saw oh, that man, somewhere. Really? You can't like cross your legs. You have to only cross your ankles. Like, so, so how long were they engaged for? I don't know. Was, was it more than a year? I think it was about, yeah. if not under. Yeah, because I'm wondering. She probably had to do some training. I'm sure. Oh yeah. And so, who is that person? Because that person can only do their job once, maybe twice. Well, I think it might be someone generation? who like does etiquette training but it's just like a like 10 notches above that for like the the, the the kobe the kobe bryant of of etiquette training they give you a <laughs> manual it's mm-hmm. like five inches thick yeah and say come back congratulations yeah. <laughs> we're sorry <laughs> I like your glasses by the way where'd you get them uh these are from c uh, in georgetown yes I bought a pair of glasses from there a while ago, and they were so not like me that I got them. I had to get them. They're just all white sunglasses. I gotta see them. Yeah, um, I think I have them. Over there. I'll show them to you. But on the inside part of it, it's like a teal color. So in the sunlight, it's like this ambient teal that comes out. I like but it. I look like the guy, and I only wear them to Vegas. And I I I, I look like the guy who's like. Yeah, this guy's coked out right here. Wearing those glasses. Do you go to Vegas often enough to have like Vegas sunglasses? Well, so that picture right there is from Vegas. That's from my twenty third birthday. I was at the Hard Rock. I didn't have the glasses. Which was like at that what point. last year? You're <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no, that was actually fifteen years ago. I'm aging myself, by the way. Um, but you know, the Aria and City Center isn't even on there right now. Um, but it's a good photo. It was back before you could do the panoramic iPhone. Matter of fact, it was before the iPhone. Vintage. Vintage. Super vintage. I actually had to go to Ritz to get all those Just printed out, that. right? Antiques. Yeah. And they give you a thing and it's all in glossy. It's like, no, no, no. I said matte. I want matte. Can you please pre- please reprint these out for me? <laughs> Thank you. I don't want my I don't want to be jinging out here, you know, and having blinding people. I know. I'm, I'm Amazing. Just, all right. So but, I said um, Matt. <laughs> right here on the, on the thing because you know they would give it to you like they would only put like 24 of them in a packet and yeah. you know I, I used to take tons of pictures with my point and shoot camera and so it's amazing yeah so what were we talking about oh yeah vegas so there was a stretch where you know friends are getting married and it was for, for guys bachelor parties like oh okay vegas is the default and then if you want to do something else cool so, you know, as guys are going about our lives and it's like, wait, so what are we going to do? I guess it has to be Vegas. <laughs> right. 
Like, you know, uh, and, we don't have other time. Yeah. We don't have time to plan something else. Let's just do Vegas. Yeah, we'll figure it out so, when we get there. Everybody just get there. Exactly. And so I had the glasses and I wore them one time and they were a hit. I was very drunk and I went up and down the strip and got everybody to do the um the rhino. Yeah. So so I had just spent some time in Miami with a couple friends of mine. Shout to London and AK and I can't remember the other guy's name. But anyways, um, Fred T. So no no so while while we were in Miami, these two guys, um, we called them Rocksteady and Bebop from um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, because they, they were kind of like yeah, two guys around, and so like before we called them that, he was like yeah you know you know the, the the Rhino the Rhino guy, and so he was he was like you all are Rocksteady and Bebop but you're Rhino right, and so that's what it was right, and so I was drunk at this bachelor party with you know completely different set of people. I was like, yo, my man Rhino was like, he was doing this down the strip. And then next thing you know, I was, I, I had one of those. Remember when people used to do planking and stuff? Yes. I, I did that before social media all up and down the strip. I had the videos to prove it too. I oh, had, I, I had Superman and Wonder Woman. I believe. Dre- like, like standing just like this, like for a, a good two minutes on the, on the recording. Yeah, it was, yeah, for those that aren't here. I have to show you what to pick. Maybe I'll put it in the notes or something. That's what I'm going to say every time. Like I'm, I'm going to put it in the notes. It's, it's it'll be in the notes. Up, you know? Do like a boomerang. Yes. A boomerang? What's a boomerang? All right, never mind. Wait, is that a, is that a new good. social media thing? Yeah, it's like a, a picture that like moves back and forth and you like do a thing. And... Wow. Life has just moved way past me. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. You're not missing That's much. how I feel every day. Yeah. But so, you know what a boomerang is, right, Alex? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So what, what's 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 big on social media now? Educate a, a a a plebeian like myself. I'm not the one to ask. I just follow a bunch of like design stuff on Instagram and. So a, boomerang I, is it the app? No, or boomerang is, it, is like a it's like a halfway between a photo and a video. And you can make it on Instagram. Yeah, although Boomerang, I think, started as its own like app, but Instagram bought it bought or adapted it, yeah. it or whatever. Or Facebook bought it. Exactly. Right? The, hi- the hierarchy. Exactly. Um, do you have a Bitmoji? No, I don't. Good for you. Do you have a Bitmoji, Alex? I was about to ask you what that is. <laughs> you know what a Bitmoji is. No, I don't. Uh, actually, I'm going to go make Alex a Bitmoji is yeah, what I'm going to do. Yeah, just make sure the hair has to be all the way. I don't even want my own. I just want one of Alex, and I'm going to send it out to people. <laughs> They'll know what's up. You can add freckles on Bitmoji. I have no idea. I don't know either. I have no idea what the, what I, I know that um, what girl I used to date had a Bitmoji, and she would send it to me all the time. Is that why you guys broke up? No, that wasn't why we broke up. <laughs> I was just kidding. I but, didn't mean no, to no, go no, there. No, no, no. But she she was like, "Fred, get a Bitmoji." I'm like, "I'm not spending any time doing <laughs> making a visual representation of myself when I could just take a picture of myself and send it to you." I'll sh- I'll even show you the face I'm making while you text this. You know? Yeah, I thought that was what the f- the face camera was for, so you could just show people exactly what face you're making instead of a cartoon. Okay, wait. The front facing camera. Is phone. that on the iPhone 10 now, where oh. th- you can't even unlock it now? They have to look at your face. Oh no, I just meant like the front facing camera, so you can take a selfie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But why would you need a Bitmoji if I could just show you my real face? Exactly, exactly. But I get it. It's like cute and kitschy. I just. I don't kitch. like I don't like kitch 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 factor is big yeah. you don't even know what it is 
I know it's emoji. No, he knows. It's he an knows. emoji. He's that, playing that. Oh, oh no, I've just, maintain... I've just learned what it is. It's an emoji of your of face. You. No, yeah. it's you, and it looks like you, and you design it. You, so you like design it, so, it make, so it's like how you see yourself. Yeah. But it does, you know, it's like it's not just the cartoon. It's like you can have it like holding things or like saying things and like making like oh, faces. And it's it's it a like... whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And it'll have whatever the the hot. Like, saying is right now like when like on fleek was a thing it'd be like a a, a bit emoji of a person that like would look like me like have curly hair or like look like you and it would be like that's on fleek and like the words would be next to it or next to the cartoon gotcha. like imagine like daria but <laughs> that's, what, that's kind of what i was imagining. imagine like daria oh, yeah. <laughs> emojis yeah. I had to throw it back for people who don't know who would emojis are it's like daria but like if you could be a character in daria yes that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. I solved it. Yes. 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 So tell, tell us more about design. Because I, I so for the viewers at home, uh, Union Inn is immaculately designed. Um, we made it as a period piece, 1890s row house. You should come check it out. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame, super shameless plug. But you know what? It is what it is. And it's amazing. Um, but anyways, um, I found that I actually, in designing that, it was very stressful. But I also found it quite fulfilling because I got to flex the creative side of myself and so in that time I, I, I love speaking with creatives about you know what it is they do even if it's not real estate based or design based with respect to spatial spaces but say clothes or anything like that and so what what's something that I need to know or what's something that you found interesting so my kind of my interest in my my interest in design is I've noticed is kind of where um, design meets function, like we kind of talked about earlier. And so I'm not, I didn't go to school for design. I mean, I went to school for fashion merchandising, but um, I'm not a designer by trade. I'm more of what you'd call, I guess, a curator of, of some sort. And so um, like with fashion, uh, my interest in design was like, we have to wear clothes, right? So why not? have them be beautiful or have a representation of your style. And uh, I started a dinner party series um, and it was kind of the same equation where, you know, we we have to, we come together to gather to eat food. So like, why not make it beautiful? So I think my interest in design is that everything can and should be beautiful and the impact of design on us as humans, which I think, I don't want to say is underrepresented. I think now with social media, like we are much we are acknowledging much more that design has an impact on us, whether it's good or bad. Um, so my my interest in design is, is how it impacts us, not um, just like a beautiful thing on a shelf or a wall, but like what does that do for us? Like whether it's, you know, a painting or a couch or a dress, like how does it make us feel? Okay. So is there anything design-wise that has been introduced into your life recently that you didn't know that you needed until you got it. Ooh. I'll give you an example. So I um I keep bringing up exes, but one of my exes we wanted to have a party during um what was it uh the, 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 the Labor Day. And uh we needed something to play the music. And I was like, everybody can just use their iPhone. Like we're all gonna be right there. She's like, No, we, we need something better than that. <laughs> And so I happened to be driving along this interstate and there's an outlet store. I was like, yeah, I got to stop by the outlet store. Right. So I bought a whole bunch of stuff. Then I saw a Bose outlet, went there, got the Bose Soundlink 2. 
changed my life forever. Dang. It's, I didn't know that I needed it, but I like to listen to music and podcasts while I'm taking a shower. You can put it right there. If I'm, you know, turning over the house and cleaning, I don't have to have my phone in my back pocket. I can just put it on top right over here and music is throughout the house. If I am traveling and I need music just wherever, I can just pop that up, boom, good to go. And it's compact, it's sleek. I feel like this podcast is one big ad for a bunch of stuff. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> everyone, you're all welcome. I'm just saying the Bose sound like to change my But here's the thing. They come out with new versions and mess it up, right? So they did the sound like three, but it doesn't have the foldy fold thing over it. So now I can't if if it gets if wet if it gets wetter, I have water in the scenario, I gotta worry about it getting in the guts. No, you just got backstock of two that someone's got on eBay or something. Exactly. But guess what? They go up in price. They know. Yeah. And now they have the the sound link revolve. And this thing is a circle. I'm like, yeah. So now you can pick it up and you have 360. But it's like nine times out of ten when I put this thing, it's right up against the wall anyway. So the other half of it I'm not using. But here's the big thing about it. It used to be a stereo. Now it's mono. It's only mono sound coming out. But they make it 360. So if you have it's it in the center of the room. Exactly. It, it, you're an aural person, so yeah. you, you, you would hear the difference. But for a lot of people who haven't had a Bose before or, you know, I'm sorry, I'm venting. So anyways, something that so, you didn't know that you needed. Okay, into. so my my interest in, uh, my current interest in design is less like technologically charged okay. and more like mundane things that you wouldn't think uh, about in design originally. So right now I've been replacing all the light fixtures in my apartment and i been buying vintage light fixtures and so it's usually just like the shade and some of them are wired and i've become obsessed with canopies the piece that affixes to the ceiling that holds like the cord and the and the and the wires yes and it's like it's like the most i don't even want to say mundane because it obviously has a purpose but when you think about light fixtures, you think about like the shade itself. And I'm like, no, the thing that's going to touch it and go to the ceiling needs to match the aesthetic. And I've been like Googling vintage ones and then ones that look vintage but aren't. And I actually finally found someone in LA who makes some cool ones that I actually just ordered. Um, but that was something I never, when I would think about like renovating or redecorating a place, like, you know, maybe like doorknobs and the colors of screws and stuff but a, i didn't even know what it was called i had to google for five minutes just to figure out it was called a canopy <laughs> that's the hardest part right yeah, but yeah. my like, friend my friend says the my friend simone shout out to simone says the hardest part of being an entrepreneur is just figuring out what things are called because once you figure out what they're called you got it you got it solved yeah Hammurabi's code right there how about you alex what's something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it that's a tough one I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the sport coat because I don't see him without a sport coat on. Actually, we have a joke that underneath Alex's undershirt, he's wearing another sport coat. <laughs> right? There's another sweater. Under There's it. another sweater under the sweater and then <laughs> a sport coat under the sport coat and a sweater. I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think. I'm trying to think. In the way that I've always been. I've never even spartan life a thing that i've ever been like oh i don't have that what am i gonna do um there was something you know, that you, you had told me that i needed one time 
and it was really good. I have a, about a billion wine openers. <laughs> I, I once had to buy you one of those with. tea. Um, a tea ball. A tea you ball. Didn't buy me a tea ball. The ones where you fill, you put the tea Loose in it. Tea. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got really spoiled with some leaf tea, and now we refer to regular tea bags as poor man's tea. Poor man's tea. <laughs> Even when they come in those velvety bags, it's not. It's, it's poor, poor man's tea. Yeah, I wish I wish I could say that there was something that I've run into lately or in the past however many years that I just was like, oh, my life has completely changed. Maybe a beard? <laughs> <laughs> something traveling related? Like a backpack? No. Okay. No. I mean, I traveled probably the most last year than I have. Uh, my entire life um but yeah i can't think of anything he's the man who has everything right not really it's just i just feel like there's very little that i need or or very little that that i've ever acquired and been like oh this is going to change the way i do things i don't know maybe i'm getting old or maybe you were just efficient from the beginning Uh, you were just you give me too much credit Mm. so i did want to ask you something about um so right now I know you work in the wine profession. You're a buyer now? No, I work for an, an importer. Importer, yes. Okay, my apologies. Um, and so there was a time, though, that you worked at a seller for high net worth individuals, high, people of means who had so much wine that either A, they couldn't store it in their wine cellar, or B, said, well, I do have a wine cellar, but I want a specific temperature control and I have a lot of it, so let's just outsource that to someone. Yes. Okay. Um, how many of those places are in D.C.? Um, I believe there are two or three. Okay. Um, the third used to be held in a climate-controlled warehouse that they dedicated a certain part of it to wine collections. Um so that was like based in Virginia somewhere, but the, no. you would walk into the... No, oh. it was in the district. Okay. Um, there are two firmly in the district now. Um, who, generally, if you're, if you're a collector, um, large in part, most of the time, you're going to uh, buy more wine than you have space with if you live in a city. Um, the reason why these thrive in in New York and Washington and parts of Florida and Chicago is because you just don't have that much space. Most, I mean, you know, if you live in a high rise, if you live in a row house, um, if you have a basement, you're lucky. And then pretty much if you know enough uh, and have uh, a certain value, dollar value attached to the wine that you own, that rises above a certain level, you have to make sure that if you go to resell it in the chance that you're an investor collector, or if you want to make sure that as you keep it for a number of years, it'll be um, in the best possible conditions you need to have it constantly at about 55 degrees. Um, and Is that red or white? Red or? and white. Okay. Um, and at 70% humidity for two reasons. One, Wine is sensitive to temperature changes. Um, if it gets too hot in the summertime and it's in your basement and your basement gets hot, you may cook your wine. 
if it gets too cold and it's in your basement, you may freeze your wine. And either way, you'll push your corks, you'll cause um, seepage. Um, and, and generally, you'll devalue your wine collection. Um, and also, you just won't have the consistency of opening the bottles and having them be um, optimal. Um, secondly, wine needs to be stored in its side. I think a lot of folks kind of know this, but it's just one of those things that if you do not have wine stored its, on its side, and you keep a bottle for 10 to 20 to 30 years, which a lot of folks do, or they buy a wine that is 20 or 30 years old, um, you will dry your corks out and the wines will literally just um, come out of the bottle or the, the cork will go into the bottle and your, your wine will be trash. Um, so there are a lot of folks who collect. Um, there are a lot of folks, you can think of these folks in the same way as folks who collect baseball cards folks who collect coins they, they're generally comic books yeah comic books it's all you know the the bigger collectors are in that way that they they develop a certain affinity and 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 they're also just folks who fall in love with a certain wine or a certain region and they collect it and they have the means to do so um so i have a bottle of a magnum bottle of moet jandan brute from the year 2000 when New Year's happened. Mm -hmm. and it's one of those bottles where you know how the front looks like a ribbon around it? Yes. Well, the tails of the ribbon are actual cloth. Mm -hmm. So I've had this bottle since 2000. And uh, I've stored it upright. Um, the, the, is, is it, with champagne, <laughs> it's, it's, it was champagne, you're, you could be okay. Um, the... I feel like I'm about to break your heart on camera right now, but um, if it's not a vintage dated bottle, as in if it's just a non-vintage Moet. Well, no, it says 2000 on it. Oh, it says 2000. Um, so it was probably released. You had it since 2000? So I bought it like December 31st, 2000. Hmm. So I think it was a bottle that was left over from... The real New Year's, yeah. and I just had it for New Year's going into two thousand one, and I was like, "Wait, the I'm not gonna pop this." The tough part about that is, honestly, in the Moet line of wines, the only real ageable wines are the Dom Perignon and Dom Perignon Rosé. Let's so, open it now. So, in other words, I'm I'm <laughs> so, I'm a, I'm a commoner. I'm a plebeian. No, it's just that that's one that, um. Is not is not what's hot in the streets for it. No, no it's just that the bottle's this, worth more than liquid inside. <laughs> is what you're saying. This December thirty first, you should get some friends together and open that bottle because it's not going to get any better. Sir. If we can't open it, oh, you can open it. Just yeah, make sure it's right. very cold. I'm going to saber it. Yeah. Ooh, that's Ooh. a good idea. Have you ever sabered? I have sabered once before. It's terrifying. It made your day though. It's it's cool, but you know. Kind of makes you feel like a race car driver, but so for, for the viewers at home, uh, sabering is when you take a machete or a sword, specifically one that looks like it could knight somebody, and you run it along the spine of the bottle. A lot of times, if you trace around the edge of the bottle, you'll see kind of a, a, a seam where I guess the glassmaker joined it. And you basically follow that seam all the way until you hit the um, the neck or the tip, the neck of the tip of the, 
the champagne and via pressure and magic it flies across the room and you break the whole bottle so you don't even have to worry about popping the cork now don't try to drink from the bottle afterwards <laughs> uh, you want to pour that champagne into another glass but you know it's really cool too especially if you can say you've done it like Alex you know you get cool points matter of fact when you do it they give you a, a, a gold star tassel I'm not sure we get cool points from that <laughs> so um, I do want to ask you a question though about the um, wine storage okay um how how much space how many bo- how many bottles would i need or space would i need to do a profitable version of that if i wanted to have a tasting room and store some wine here in washington no here like if i went oh. down and dug out the basement well i'm sorry i have no basement i have a crawl space so we're talking about moving mm. uh 10 by 12 by 40 um, Whatever that you, comes out to cubic feet wise, you would you would need a a warehouse. I would say for um, a few reasons. Um, certain collectors like to have access to their wines um, twenty four hours a day. Hmm. Certain collectors have eight hundred cases of wine. So this is more so like a self storage facility. Oh, for yourself. Um. Oh, for yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. So what I thought, because from what I understood, the, mm-hmm. the, the places you were talking about were, you know, Northwest Palisades, Fox Hall, Georgetown area, right? No, there's there's one um, that is on V Street Northeast. Oh, okay. Yeah, where, like you're going to Costco. Yes. Okay. And then there is one that is, is um, very much uptown. Okay. So I'm wondering if it was something where it played to say the people that live in Capitol Hill and Noma, Trinidad, all that. And it was like, Hey, we're going to have, we have a space that is, you know, relatively small, has a tasting room and we're going to open this up to 20 people and you can store 24 bottles or something like that. Mm. Could that be profitable? And you have a tasting room. I I think the, 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 that model is closer to um, something like the Capitol grill where Capitol grill has lockers. Okay. So you can have a wine locker at, at Capital Grove, excuse me. Um, and that's a place where you would, you can have, folks have access to it. You can meet people there clearly and you can have dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And you can clearly taste your wines there. But, but um, two cases of wine is a very small amount for a collector. Okay. Um, I would say that most collections start at about 20 sub 20 well maybe about 15 to 20 cases and then they go all the way up to hundreds okay so that would just be a sort of easy access yeah i mean which i think you know there there there's definitely merit to it Mm -hmm. as in if you have a space where the difference is when when folks are going to dinner around town Mm -hmm. you know do you have time to run all the way up connecticut avenue and then come back down to have dinner? Or do you have time to run all the way over to Costco and then pretty much re-enter the city, depending on whether you're there during traffic? So the idea of having a two-case space for, let's say, 100 clients, where they can grab bottles, they can also just sit on the weekend and nerd out, which a lot of co- collectors do, 
I say that's fine just as long as it's not their primary storage because you, you wouldn't have enough space for primary storage. But I think as far as a short-term locker and something easy in the center of the city that people would have access to when they wanted a bottle, I think that would be a great idea. So unless you have a warehouse, this has to be more so looked at as an amenity and not as a business model. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. It's that time of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Bucket list place to travel. It's time. Allison. I would say my number one is probably Morocco. Where in Morocco? Um, I'm only slightly familiar with Marrakesh okay. and not other parts, although I would be interested in um, kind of more remote desert parts as well. Okay. My family's from Egypt, so it's sort of a neighbor, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love, you know, what I've seen and, and kind of heard of um, the country and the uh, culture and fabrics and then also the appeal of uh, the fact that they speak both Arabic and French is, is fantastic. Okay. All right. Alex? I would have to say... I would have to say South Africa. We're in South Africa. Um, I would say Lesotho because I know of Lesotho. I definitely want to go to Lesotho, but... Um, I've had a lot of friends go to South Africa and they've come back with a lot of really great stories. And, um, and I think generally hearing about reading about and, you know, on the, being on the outside, experiencing all the changes that have happened and all the changes that have not yet to have happened in South Africa. I think that's a place I'd like to go. Okay. I still haven't finalized the full name of what I'm gonna call it, but I guess your 50 mile detour restaurant. And for those uninitiated, basically what we're saying is this restaurant is so good that if you were traveling from point A to point B and somehow you were made aware that this restaurant is within 50 miles of your, at some point along your travel, it would be worth it to you to detour from your ways route to go to this restaurant just to eat. Go back to Alex. So I'm going to butcher the name of this. Um, because my sister lived in Japan for seven and a half years. Um, and there was this gyoza shop. Um, Dumplings? Yes. Um and mind you, what I will say is if you're within 50 miles of Tokyo in general, just <laughs> go to Tokyo um, because it's amazing. Um, being originally from New York and just loving and having this sort of like relationship with like food and, and just excellent all sorts of from everywhere food, I've never eaten better anywhere than I did in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, but I'll have to find out exactly the name of it, but it's, it's like the happy gyoza something okay. close to Shinjuku. Okay. I think it's closer to Ginza actually than Shinjuku, but it's pretty much world famous. There's like a line from the time they open 
to the time they close at 11 o'clock and they do two types of gyoza, pan fried or steamed. They do steamed rice, pickled vegetables and beer. And that's only what they do. And I think I ate there. That sounds like you. Um, yeah, maybe five times out of the 10 days I was there. Yeah. It sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And I had just amazing sushi and everything else. And nothing was as compelling as just the simplicity and like just the craft of how amazing they were. Did you go twice in one day? I did. <laughs> I most certainly did. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. How about you, Allison? I think I don't have a particular restaurant, but... Oh, uh, no. 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 Oh. No. No. Dang, I had the perfect not, answer, too. We don't have a range. It's the one. I was going to say anywhere with chick- like fried chicken and biscuits. <laughs> like if someone was like, you need to go to my grandma's house to get fried chicken and biscuits, I would drive 50 miles to that grandma's house. I, but that's the fault. I think we all would do that. Gosh. All right. I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to go with Tip Cow, actually. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a solid choice. Great, yeah. That's a choice. solid choice. That's I think that choice. I would eat there if I had the chance at any given moment. And I would definitely drive out of my way to okay. go to Tip Cow. So Tip Cow is uh, Laotian cuisine? Yes. It is on 14th Street in Columbia Heights neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Uh, what is that? Alero? What's that apartment complex called? I think it's the Alero. I think so, too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. North of um, the... Um, what's that? USA. Tivoli. Tivoli. Yes. Just north of Tivoli. The Tivoli Theater, which is in the heart of uh, Columbia Heights. All right. All right. We're bringing it home now. Number one talent. Number one talent being something that you had an have an innate proficiency at doing. You didn't have to work towards it. It just is there. I guess mine would be fixing things. I will co-sign I on that for him. Really think that. So you're an engineer by. I yeah. It's just. I don't think I ever worked really hard at it. It just kind of. It just happened. That's it's actually, genetic. I mean, I guess maybe it's. I don't think it's really genetic. No, um, it could be. But like my grandfather was like a car mechanic his entire life and literally his entire life when he was in Jamaica and when he was here. I mean, he is still here, but he's retired. And I don't know, since I've been almost zero, I've just been either breaking or fixing things, most times fixing things. I've just kind of carried over till now. So you're one of those people that, you know, you got a, a, a boom box for Christmas and you took it apart yeah. to figure out exactly, yeah. okay, this wire goes to here yeah. and then put it back together. Yeah. Hey. It was, it was tough sledding in the eighties when my parents had like $5,000 computers and then they would come home and they didn't work, but and you, you had, know, you it, had to make it happen. It came around. No. Cause I broke it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But it, it all, you know, it that's all, different. yeah, yeah. It all came out. It, it yeah. evened out eventually. Yeah. It worked. Yeah, and when computers used to cost that much money. Yeah, they still do. Yeah. The good ones. But, yeah. So, you know, they, they, they're they reaping the benefits now because... They are. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. They, they, the, I mean, the by, the time I was, by the time I was 12, it, oh, you, we, were, that guy. we were pretty much... I was in the, I was in the black. Good. Good. <laughs> and I'm going to need you to actually... You know, computers, <laughs> it's, it's Windows Defender and McAfee, they're just... 
won't leave me alone. You should renew your... Yes. They always want you to renew. They're coming. I'm telling you. <laughs> Allison. Um, I think for me it would be like color stories. Like I've always had an eye for colors, whether it's pairing colors or contrasting colors. And I've applied that differently throughout my life, but it's something that I've never like thought about or practiced. It just came to me naturally. Okay. That's good. That's a good one. All right. Last but not least, number one, skill. Something that you have worked at to obtain a, I guess you call it above average proficiency compared to everyone else, but it's your number one thing. I'd say teaching. This may be unhumble, but... <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we're. I mean, I guess since say, we're trying to say, the nature of the question, yeah, but but you know, I think that there's a lot of times, at, at least mainly with things that I'm passionate about, that I I do enjoy teaching. I mean, I think a a large portion of why I'm in the wine business and staying in the wine business for so long is that I like sharing that experience, and not just necessarily just the sort of latent feeling of the tasting but the ideas of 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 what makes these things special you know what was the history of of these folks growing this grape and why do they grow it and why do they eat it with this and and to have an understanding of 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 something that i think makes people um nervous i think a lot of people feel that there's so much to know and and that it's embarrassing when you don't know. But I, I think I've always been driven by, with wine and other things, that, that, that everyone starts at a point where they don't know very much. You know, and you can only get to a place of knowledge when someone is willing to impart um, their experience and what they know. Sidebar, have you seen that Netflix documentary, Psalm in the Bottle? I haven't. I feel like yeah, everyone yeah. kind of looks at me funny. They're like, why haven't you seen it? And I'm like, I guess I'm like the contrarian. Yeah, uh... You may not like it. Because it's, 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 it's the process of becoming a master sommelier. Yes. Is that the correct term? Yes. And so they have to take a test. Mm-hmm. They have to take master psalm. So you, you take intro, you take certified. And then you take advanced, and then the last level is master. Okay. So what's interesting about that, and I'm sorry, I, I'm going off on a tangent, but um, my my training was as a commercial real estate appraiser. And uh, I eventually got my MAI designation, which is a member of the Appraisal Institute. Um, it's pretty much the highest designation you can get in being commercial appraiser. So I'm like, hey, yeah, I got this. You know, I had to do... X amount of hours, I'd do a demo, I'd take all these classes and everything, and you know, got these initials, right? What I found was outside of appraisal, having that designation, uh, it, it, it doesn't necessarily add to um, outside of it. I mean, especially if you want to like go into development a lot of times, especially since there are some developers that you know, feel like appraisers get in the way of them ultimately trying to do a development because it's somebody who wasn't a part of it, trying to give them an ascertaining value, a value of this asset that they know inside and out. Um, and so when someone who has an MAI might come in, they might think, oh, this guy, right? So I'm wondering with the master psalm, if 
you want to become, say, a celebrity bartender, celebrity something, would, or open a, a restaurant or a wine bar, would being a master psalm help, or is that only help within the realm of being a, a sommelier? Um, That's a great question. Thank you. I would say that being a master psalm requires a lot of commitment. Um, it requires an awful lot of money. Um, and I know a bunch of great Psalms in this town who run amazing programs that are better than a lot of programs in other towns that are bigger than Washington, and none of them have their master Psalm. Um, I know some folks who run programs um, well-awarded programs and none of them have their master some. I think, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's only, I don't know, it's 338 of them in the world. Um, I think that they're in high demand. I think that what it allows you to do is, is work for a hotel group and have them pay you very well. Um, you can teach and run, run, um, um, education for uh, um, importers and distributors and um, if you the the academic part of it allows you to write books um, and lecture and, and and do a lot of things that again open doors for you I mean when you're a master Simon you you go to any winery in the world and they know of you because there are only 338 of you you know a lot of doors are open but I, I think that that as far as the nitty-gritty as in I want to run a restaurant or I want to open a restaurant and I want to run an, an amazing program, I don't think having master is something that is necessarily that important. Um, I think that there's, there's so many people who just have a love and passion of it that, 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 that they don't... The, the, it's, the form, kind of, it's more of a formality. Yes, it's, it it's very much necessary. more of a formality. I think that the, 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 the sort of, and I won't take up too much time on this, but the, 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 the interesting thing about the modern quarter master sommeliers is that originally um, a sommelier was kind of quality control. A sommelier was a person who was pretty much checking that under guidelines, mostly European guidelines, but um, if you are in the Rhone Valley and you're in Cornas and the only wine, only grapes that you're allowed to grow and put in your wine is Syrah, that you didn't, you know, go across the street and buy a bunch of Carignan from your friend because you had a thin vintage and dump it in your Syrah. That was what a Somali's job was to do. They were to taste the wine and know that this hadn't been adulterated by any other varietal. They or taste security guards. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, has has moved into uh, the industry that it is now, and, and, and there's some amazing psalms out there, and there's some folks in, in D.C. doing some absolutely amazing things. Um, but I don't think that having a master psalm necessarily um, is, is a gateway to entry for any of that. Gotcha. Thank you. Sure. And that speaks to your talent of, 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 of being a teacher. Oh, I'm sorry, no, no, to the skill. 
Yes. A skill of being a teacher. Yes. Because I learned something. Excellent. I'm happy you learned something. <laughs> Thank you. Last but certainly not least, Allison. Skill. I would say, maybe on a more broader sense, like putting things together. Um, I don't mean that in the Alex fixing way. I mean, um, at one point it was putting outfits together. At some point it was putting people together. Now it's a bit more about interiors or projects, but um, I think I've been working on the skill of putting things together for a very long time. And it's, to me at least, the one thing that kind of ties together everything I've done, um, even though they vary from, from field to field. That's perfect. He he likes taking things apart. You like putting things together. There we go. Match made in heaven. Alex and Allison, thank you so much for joining the Innkeeper's Guest Book. As always, I am the illustrious, illustrious, sorry, Innkeeper, Freddie. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.